this is Nadia, and you're listening to Finding Hope. Welcome back if you've been listening. Um, I want to kind of start off with where I ended last week. Um, I began talking about how, while being in foster care, going through the process of um, my dad getting charged with what he did to me. And like I said, it was really, really hard to keep talking about this to strangers, you know, and it, it was difficult enough to go through it, but then the process after it to just kind of keep reliving it over and over and talking about it was just so hard. And especially when I didn't have family or the support that I wanted. I did have amazing people by my side um, while I was in foster care. And that really helped me get through it. And also finding my faith while being in foster care. Um, I talked back in previous episodes about how, you know, I used to pray to God before my dad hit me and would pray that it wouldn't hurt as much, um, each time, and, you know, that, that that was the only time that I felt like I really prayed as a kid was, you know, to not have to be going through what I was going through, and when I went to foster care, you know, my foster family really were, like, religious and went to church every Sunday, and I didn't grow up that way, you know, I grew up in a Catholic school, but never really practiced, you know, the religion, and when going through foster care, it was like a different version of it, it was, you know, the pastor talked about having a relationship with God, and not it, you know, being necessarily about a religion, and that's really where I found my faith, and I remember it was like a guest speaker speaking at our church and it just, I felt God speaking to me and I didn't understand why I was going through what I was going through and I always had all these questions and even part of me was like, how could a loving God allow these things to happen to me? And I learned that we all have free will, we make our choices, and, you know, that's what God gives us, is our free will, and I realized that he also has mercy on us, that if we choose to accept him into our lives, that he can help us through things that we couldn't imagine, and that's exactly where I was, and I I felt like my parents let me down. Everyone who loved me let me down. And I, I was just very against letting anyone into my life. And when I let God into my life, it just opened my heart up to forgiveness and peace and a love that you know, I, I can only describe as 
just amazing. And having my faith in God through all of this is is really what got me through and continues to this day to get me through. And, you know, using my faith and having God on my side and giving me strength is what gets me through this next part of my life. And that is my dad's sentencing. And I talked before about how he was offered a plea deal and he accepted. So it was a relief that I didn't have to sit up on the stand in front of people and go through all of that once again. But I shortly realized that, you know, even with the plea, he could get way less time than he deserved. And my lawyer and my foster parents spoke with me about how important it would be if I were to give a statement at his sentencing. They said it was my choice, that I didn't have to do it, I didn't even have to go. But I knew that I needed to go. And I had written my, I had written my statement as if I was talking to the judge. Using words like he, him, and that's how I had written my statement. And mind you, walking into the courtroom this day, I hadn't seen my dad since the day that I walked out of, you know, the day after I walked out of the house, after that happened to me. And walking into that courtroom and seeing him was hard. And I had amazing people who, you know, were once strangers, but became, you know, amazing friends and supporters on my side, sit on my side of the courtroom. And then I had my mom sit on my dad's side of the courtroom. And that was hard. And as they're, you know, talking, as the judge is talking and reading off, you know, my dad's charges, my mom stands up in the middle of the courtroom and yells, this is bullshit. And she's yelling and she is escorted out of the courtroom. And I remember just sitting there and just being like, these are my parents. You know, these people who are so hateful or, you know, hurt. I I, I don't know how to explain how two people can do what they did. I don't. I've, I've tried to reason with it. I've tried to make it make sense, but it, it doesn't. And to sit there and be like, you know, there's my dad and then there goes my mom. But anyway, um, through that, they told me I could come up and say my statement. 
and I didn't realize that I was going to be talking directly to my dad. And this is where I know God gave me strength in this moment. How I wrote my statement as if I was talking to the judge, I was able to read my statement and completely direct it at my dad. I explained to him how he was supposed to be the one to protect me. I talked about how, you know, if a kid has a nightmare and there's a monster in their dream, their parent is supposed to be the one to comfort them and protect them from these scary things. And I told my dad, but he's my monster. And he was supposed to protect me, but instead he hurt me. And I explained to him all the things that he ruined for me. And how I'll never get that back. And how he ruined the fact that he wouldn't be at any school dances, you know, to, to see me off, to see me off to prom, to see me off after I graduate high school, that he wouldn't be there to walk me down the aisle. And I'm, I'm crying through this. But during this part, I look up and I look him in the face and I told him that I forgave him and that I loved him. And he laughed. He laughed. And um, I said, you know, most people would think that the things that you have done are unforgivable. But with God, I've been able to forgive you. And I said, if you seek him out, you can find forgiveness in him too. And I gave him a Bible, and I had highlighted Bible verses for him. And then I looked to the judge, and I said, Your Honor, please don't mistake my forgiveness for, for me wanting him to get less time. I want him to have the maximum amount of time in jail because I said I didn't, I had a little sister and I didn't want what happened to me to happen to her or to anybody else. And I got down and I didn't know because, you know, I had been looking down during most of my statement, but my foster parents and other people who had supported me that I had met in foster care told me that there wasn't a dry eye in the courtroom. Even some of the police officers were crying. And as I got down, the judge said that that was the most heartfelt statement that he had ever heard in all his years of being a judge. And he said, sadly, 
I had to deal with this for the rest of my life, that he wished he could give my dad life in prison. He said that he walked into there thinking that he was only going to give him three years. He said after hearing my statement, he was going to give him the maximum amount, which was eight years in prison. And my dad got up and got angry. And it's just crazy to me that that, he had a reaction to that, but he laughed to what I said to him. And walking away from that, you know, it, it was hard. I felt, you know, even though I had people to support me, I just felt very alone. And, you know, I, I had God giving me strength, but it was just really hard to see the two people who brought me into this world. Just, just how it was that day it was just really hard. But like I said, you know, my faith got me through that. My dad ended up, you know, serving his time in jail. And, um, like I said, after that, we spent like a year and a half in foster care. And then we go home to be with my grandparents. And it was my freshman year that we moved in with my grandparents. And it was another huge shift. During this transition into coming and living with my grandparents, um, obviously in the beginning, we were so happy to be going home and finally being with family. But the obstacles to come were something that I, I didn't expect. And it's just another really hard chapter in my life. And, you know, during this time, going through lots and lots of counseling. And there were some things throughout high school that I, I started to to wonder what was wrong with me, you know, like, why did these things happen? Why is life so hard? And again, you know, even though I was questioning these things, I never wanted anyone to feel, you know, my hurt or my pain. I felt like I was, you know, such a, you know, people pleaser. I always wanted to make other people happy. I always wanted to do things. I just felt like I, I don't know, I just had to, I don't know, I just always wanted to love people how I wanted to be loved. And I think that really caused me to get hurt a lot. And I think too, just having, not having like a father figure or you know, I had my grandpa, but it was just a weird transition, and I don't think that we ever really figured out, you know, how to separate the fact that he was a father figure and my grandpa. Like, it was just, it was very confusing, I think, for us all on how 
to play the in these new roles of you know now my grandparents are my parents and like I said it was just a very very hard transition and living with my grandparents my aunts were still at home it was just it was hard and I think we all felt it and my grandma really struggled with it and I don't wanted to get confused I'm grateful my grandparents took us in but my grandma really really struggled I think with this so much so that she she made it known that they didn't ask for that for their life you know they didn't expect to be taking care of three more kids and I remember her and I constantly going at it when I was in high school and living with them and it was just really difficult and it really made me feel like I was unwanted you know and I don't think that was ever really her intentions but she didn't you know I think now she feels very differently well I know she feels differently now but then it was it was hard for her and her and I's relationship really struggled. And I remember arguing back with her, like, do you think I asked for what happened to me? Do you think that we asked for this for our life? And it just made me feel like I never really had a home, you know, and I never really felt like I had a place. And... It was hard to grow up that way. And I felt like, you know, my grandparents assumed because I was older that I didn't really need the guidance that my brother and sister did. But in reality, I needed it just as much as they did. And again, I think separating from what my grandma was going through compared to what we were going through, I think it was really hard for her to see it from our our perspective I guess I think she just seen how difficult it was for her and that was hard I never really wanted to be home I played a bunch of sports I did as much as I could to stay out of the house I had a job I started working at Subway at 15 and I just wanted to do as much as I could to stay away from home. To stay away from the, you know, yelling and arguing. And I really battled with it. And again, it's not like I'm trying to say that I'm taking for granted what my grandparents did. It just... It was hard. And... Even going through that, you know, and for my grandma to say how hard it was for her to take care of us, she at some point began taking care of other foster kids because they had to get their foster license in order for us to stay with them and go through the process of adopting us. And so since they had to get their foster license... 
my grandma thought, I guess it would be a good idea to take care of other kids. And um, it added a lot more responsibility onto me. You know, I know that there's, you know, expectations of helping and things like that, but I think what I did exceeded what I what I should have been doing. I should have just been able to be a kid, you know, and I didn't have that. And I don't I don't know how my grandma could not necessarily have sympathy, but maybe understanding of what we went through and have some kind of compassion towards that back then. But I remember one of the little girls that lived with us, she um, had lost her mom and she watched her mom die. And I remember sitting at the dining room table and my grandma saying, well, see, you guys didn't have it that bad. That little girl had to watch her mom die. And I remember looking at her and telling her, I had to stop my mom from trying to commit suicide. And I just got up from the table. Like, and I think it was just like things like that, that me and her like always just butted heads. You know, just the comments and the things that made it harder for me to feel wanted there. And on top of dealing with that, I'm battling with trying to have a relationship with my real mom. And at this time, my mom is in to drugs. And that put a strain on her ability to have a relationship with us, her kids, and even other people in our family. You know, I always knew when my mom said she wasn't feeling good, it was because of what she was out doing. And there were so many times in high school that she would get sober and we'd be so happy for her. And I remember during this time in high school, she wanted a job. And I was working at Subway, so I reached out to my boss about helping her get a job. And it's crazy the intuition that I have with my my mom, even still to this day. But I remember a couple weeks passed by, and it's a Wednesday. I don't even connect the dots But just something in my gut was telling me something was wrong. And I began to try to call my mom. She's not answering, not answering. And I just feel like something's wrong. And then I realized Wednesday was payday. So I begin to freak out. And I come to find out later, you know, a couple days later that my mom had actually OD'd that day after she got paid. And I remember having to sit down with my grandma, my mom, and my counselor, and me just being so angry at my mom. I'm like, do you understand that I helped you get that job? I helped you get access to money? And then can you imagine if you would have actually have died? Like, I'm like, do you know what that would have done to me? 
And I just remember being so angry at her and yelling. And, you know, there were just so many times of this happening, you know, with her relapsing, getting sober. And our relationship really, really suffered. And I just, I kept trying. I kept forgiving her. I kept, I kept trying to have her in my life because I just wanted to have my mother around. You know, even if it was as a friend or whatever, I just so badly wanted her in my life, even after everything. I just kept forgiving her. And, you know, I think that that's kind of how I grew up, was that, you know, the people who love us hurt us and just supposed to keep forgiving. And at this time, I knew no different. So I just, it just kept being a cycle, an endless cycle. And I'll get into later how that affected relationships for me as an adult and then while dealing with all this in high school I had to deal with older adult males in higher up positions such as you know a teacher in school a youth director at this gym I used to go to um, being inappropriate with me and I remember, you know, you know, both these guys had actually had gotten in trouble for the things, but I remember not wanting to say anything, not wanting to say anything, not wanting to tell anyone because I was so tired of feeling like a victim. I literally had told my counselor, I'm like, do I have it stamped across my forehead? Like, I, I, I don't get it. And, you know, I really... I learned later that it is common for someone who has been abused to continuously, you know, it to go through it again. And I, I, I couldn't understand it. And, you know, it wasn't until, you know, within the last few years, that I really realized how to set boundaries and, you know, how to read red flags and, you know, just stick up for myself. And that was another battle in high school, just dealing with that. And, you know, men in my life who abuse their roles. And I just, I hated that. I remember my mom saying, how does this happen to one person so many times? And I started to blame myself, blame myself for these things, that I should have did this, or I should have said that, or, you know, and it's hard because I feel like, you know, certain men prey on victims, like, you know, and it's just sickening to me. I remember the youth director who was inappropriate with me, you know, in the beginning, I was just so shy into myself. And I remember sitting in his office and him, you know, bringing up to me, did something happen to you? And I said, how do you know? And he goes, I can tell because you sit with your legs to the door. And I'm thinking, okay, he's a youth director. He works with kids. He sees these signs. And he knew how to break down my wall to trust him, just for him to abuse that. And I think I really struggled with all of the relationships I had in my life, whether it was with family, friends, 
and, you know, even people who are supposed to be looking after me. And I just, I don't know, I really, really struggled in high school to a point where I started to isolate myself. Like, I played sports, but, like, I didn't have a lot of friends. And I felt like I was in high school, but I was just doing my time until I turned 18 and I got out. And that's exactly what I did. And at after my senior year, after graduating, I moved out of my grandparents' Um, that August, and I moved in with um, a friend from high school and her family. But I'm going to end here with this episode. Sorry if it was kind of all over. I just wanted to touch on how hard some of the relationships in my life were at that time. But in this next episode, I'm going to get into how all this, you know, childhood trauma that I had been through really affected relationships and decisions that I made as an adult and the things that I put up with that I shouldn't have because I thought it was normal. And I'm hoping with this next episode, with this discussion, that it, you know, may help other people to break cycles and to break the generational curses of, you know, staying in unhealthy relationships, friendships, or putting up with things that you shouldn't have to because you think it's normal. And um, that's what next episode will consist of, you know. And I hope the people who have reached out to me about sharing their story still feel the courage to talk about their story because I think this next episode either this next episode or the episode after that will be the last episode of me talking about my story and I really hope to have other people on to share their story and to keep this podcast going and opening it up to others to help continue give hope to other people um, so if you listen this far, thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Again, please reach out to me so I can start making a list of those I'm going to have on each week and we can pre-record so that I can continue releasing new episodes every Friday. Um, and with that, I'm going to end here. And thanks again.